The Courage to Lead, episode 151. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Katrina Ellis. Katrina Ellis is a highly competent individual with an honors commerce degree. She's also a fully qualified financial advisor. She's recently completed her level four qualifications in residential estate agency and is a fellow of the National Estate Agents Association. Katrina's career in the banking sector allows her great comfort with crunching numbers. She's been in the property market for the last 15 years and managing her own buy-to-lets or rental properties with a portfolio of over 1 million pounds. Katrina empowers women to master their money stuff for peace of mind now and for their future. Uh, She also sources high-yield properties in the Northeast, adding a low-input income to your life with a turnkey property investor solution. Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Harlan, for having me. Oh, this is my pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here. So um, you are currently, is it Isle of Man? Is that where you're located? That's correct. Yep. It's a little, for anybody who doesn't know it, it's a very small island between um, Ireland and the UK. Very cool. And so when you say you have properties in the Northeast, Northeast Ireland, are you up to Dublin area? Where? Northeast of England. So in the, okay. just near the Scottish border in England, yeah. Okay, very cool, very cool. All right, I want to come back and talk about how you got into the investing, um, the the property situation over there. I assume it's similar to how it is here in the U.S., uh, but I want to talk to you about that. How you got to start, how you help women with their investing and and learning about investing in properties and everything like that. But before we get started, I've got ten questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners will know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio where the host James Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood stars from TV, film, and stage. And I figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Katrina, if you're ready, 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Ooh, um, well, just thinking of the, the bio, I think it's probably empower or educate. I'm not sure I can decide between those two. I like ease and I like both of those words and what they mean. Yeah, they're both good. Absolutely. Okay. What is your least favorite word? Impossible. What turns you on? The problem. Seeing a problem and going, right, what's the solution? And just go for it. Okay. What turns you off? Apathy. Um, lack of interest. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Sound of the sea, which is why I love this side of the sea. Nice. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, the nails on blackboard or somebody crunching loudly close to my ear. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? It rhymes with suck. Okay. <laughs> that seems to be the most popular. Absolutely. All right. Question eight. What profession 
other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think I probably always fancied myself as a, as a bit of a dancer, um, but I have do not have the coordination or skills to do that. But I there's a program in the UK, which you might have heard of called Strictly Come Dancing, and you guys probably have a version of it. Sure. And I just uh, I'm amazed by that, their their skill and their dedication. Um, so, yeah, I think I probably would try something totally different to what I'm doing. Excellent. That'd be great. Uh, question nine. What profession would you not like to do? Hmm. Anything that involves blood. So anything um, in a hospital setting, I don't don't do well. I have three kids, but you know, that, and they were two That's of them were home births, and that was <laughs> that was about my my limit. I yeah. could do my own blood, but somebody <laughs> else's, no. I'm with you on that one. All right. Finally, um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, you you did the best. You could with what you had. You you lived your life, you know, with gusto. You left and you left a legacy, you know, an amazing legacy behind. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got into investing, how you help women uh, overcome their their fears or, or struggles or whatever with investing uh, to create their, their financial freedom. We're going to talk about all that and more. And at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. Okay. So listeners, we will be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Katrina Ellis. Katrina, thanks again for joining us on the program. I'm happy to have you here with us. So, you know, I've talked to people on the podcast that were doctors, lawyers, police officers, and they all said from an early age, I knew that's what I wanted to be. When you were a kid, did you know you wanted to be a financial advisor? No, not specifically. Um, but thinking back, and this is something I was thinking about recently, actually, was um, what I did always know was that I knew that I loved the cut and thrust of business and the wheeling and dealing and how business women dressed. I always remember having an eye for that and getting a suit, a business suit. It was a pinstripe suit very early on that I absolutely adored. And I loved how I felt when I had it and I had a briefcase, etc. Um, so I maybe didn't have the details clear, but I definitely had a feel for and now I'm actually living that. Um, I kind of think, actually, you know what? And when I look back at my briefcase and my pinstripe suit, I can think, oh, that kind of fits with with what I thought. So um, the details weren't clear, um, but the feel of what I'm doing, that was that was clear from relatively young age. Good. Um, and then did you take accounting and things like that in, in college? I did. My my um, primary degree was a Bachelor of Commerce. 
And um, so I had done um, and it actually was supposed to be a four year degree, but I made it into a five because I took a year out and I did um, a year abroad studying it. So I made it into five. So I had uh, four years accounting, economics, you know, law, all the basics and business. And then the very last year, then I specialized in management and marketing um, with a a specific focus around international marketing, because something that's always fascinated me from a young age as well is different cultures and how. Um, you know, different countries exist and how we all have our own individual um, approach to things um, within cultures and kind of subcultures as well. So that's always really interested me. Um, so so I, I kind of reflected that with my choice of subjects in my my studies. And then what did you uh, get started in investing in real estate, real properties? Um, investing, I suppose, I worked in retail banking for, um, golly gosh, probably 10, 12 years, something like that. And in that environment, it was something that obviously I was aware as a as a bank employee, we had shares and we had benefits and stuff like that. But it's really kind of it's a bit surreal when I look back on it, because I think, OK, well, you worked in a bank, that bank sold products like pensions, investments, all that kind of stuff. Yet I feel that my, I was very limited and my blinkers were very firmly on even though I worked in that world. And it wasn't until I'd actually left the banking industry after I had my second child and retired from my job um, to be full-time carer with my kids that I started to actually explore the world of investment with a slightly different perspective away from the corporates, looking at, you know, sort of the rich dad, poor dad approach and opening up that world. Um, Then I started to understand investments in a very different way and in a way that wasn't what I would now refer to as what the bank I worked for offered kind of uh, uh, TV dinners, prepackaged stuff, which have lower returns and higher costs. I started to understand how I could actually do something similar to that, but really have very low costs and significantly higher returns. So I started to work with a mentor um, called Anne Wilson. She's an amazing South African lady who has written a book called The Wealth Chef. And that was my starting point Um into a world of how investments work in a very different way and led me on to where I am today with with working with women. So it was I've had sort of different experiences in the world of investment with what the vast majority mainstream see with your interaction with your financial provider and then um, what a very small section of society come to know through financial education and increasing the financial literacy as to how you can actually do it at really an optimum level um, for your life that benefits you ultimately and you're in the driving seat with it. So two very different perspectives on on how to do investments. Nice. And then you also went through what is it, Financial Freedom University? That- yes, that was with my mentor, um, Anne Wilson. So, you know, when I started off, when I discovered her, I just I really resonated with her very, very quickly. She really spoke to females who were disempowered with this. Um, and that's what began my journey on that. And then she one of her kind of top level program is Financial Freedom University. So that really went into huge detail on each piece of that. And that was amazing. It was it was hugely empowering. I I just soaked that up. I was, you know, in the midst of I think I had three kids at that point. Yeah. And sleep deprivation. But this this information literally just sparked me and just breathed life into me. And I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. And we were at a point we were really struggling financially. Um, it was post the kind of 0809 crash. Uh, we had two 100 percent mortgages and we were struggling. So I really this was kind of oxygen for me. Um, but then little did I know at that point that that would lead me onto a whole new path and really First of all, um, you know, give me oxygen to continue doing what we were doing and to get to ride the storm that we were being hit with. 
and then ultimately go on to really ignite a passion in me for that information to see how sorely lacking it was, not just amongst females, but, you know, I see the education system now for my kids, which is why we home educate that it's lacking on all levels. Mm -hmm. And so that really put a fire in my belly to go, okay, you know, there's, there's, let me take the mantle as well and see what I can do about, you know, leaving a better legacy um, in this respect, starting first of all with myself, letting that then trickle down to my kids. um, And then, you know, uh, now taking it in a new direction with, with um, women. Nice. Yeah. I remember as a kid in school, we were taught uh, banking. We were, you know, basic how to how to create a budget for home how to uh, manage your uh, checkbook things like that how to i mean open a bank account you know the simplest things but at least we were taught some of that stuff it doesn't seem like they really cover that more there are kids that don't understand yeah they don't know how to write a check anymore they don't have bank accounts because they don't really understand they it's if i can feel the numbers on my credit card it's still good (laughs) you know and uh yeah yeah are you finding a lot of that with the women you help that they just don't have a, a good concept of, of money and management? No, they don't. And exactly that. I mean, I think you were definitely probably in the minority um, to have an education that included that because it just seems so simplistic that, you know, something like opening a bank account or, or you know, using a check or, you know, understanding how to pay your bills and the importance of that or importance of having good credit. Basic things like this, which to me are, are hugely important life skills. Um, you know, we could debate the pros and cons of grammar and, um, you know, where that can get you in life, which, yes, it has its place, too. But, you know, the the weight that's put on subjects like that versus, um, you know, the weight that I see, I, I don't see any with my kids and their exposure to the education system here um, on life skills like that. It's just non-existent. And then, you know, from the female perspective as well, what I, I notice on a regular basis is that stereotypically going back decades, I'm not so sure it's such such a as prominent now, but stereotypically um girls were weak at numbers but they were good at sewing and cooking and kind of the softer skills and the boys were good at numbers even if they weren't um they were you know they were um trained to be and encouraged to you know take roles that were good with numbers so they needed to they were pushed to to master it whether it was their strength or not whereas girls were were generally not always um kind of um pushed in a different direction because of what the stereotype was at that time and so they i find when i'm working with a lot of women now they'll regularly say to me oh, i'm not good at numbers it's just not my strength and then when we start talking um through it they'll produce like an amazing spreadsheet or start um running through the numbers of their own setup with me and i'm thinking hang on a second you are good at numbers you know you may have been told that and you may have a limiting belief that that is so but from what you're demonstrating to me i don't believe that that's true but they have a hang-up about it because it's what was instilled with them and they've carried that through so some of my work is identifying that i don't have the skill set to um, get rid of that if it's a very deeply set um, belief um, but it's about bringing that awareness to them and going you know what this is not true and it's actually disempowering you and it's something that you need to address. So that's the way I find it manifesting with the, with the women that I work with. Yeah. So you're teaching them the skills, but you're also helping them overcome that, that mindset, right? The limiting beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, to, to me, mindset, when it comes to anything and, and very, very particularly with money, 
it's it's massively around mindset and I'm sure you know it's something you come across regularly mm-hmm. it's it's make or break you know if you have the mindset to think that um you know you can make it well then that's exactly what you can do and it's that amazing um Henry Ford quote whether you think you can or whether you think you can't either way you're right um so to me that just epitomizes um you know the importance of mindset it doesn't matter whatever it is whether it's your money whether it's investing um you know whether it's your career whatever it is if you have the right mindset that's an amazing asset to have in your in your toolkit and something that you know we probably put in terms of the education system put too much focus on um you know testing them etc but the emotional intelligence of our children is not cared for well enough and i think that ultimately affects their mindset so to me the mindset is hugely hugely important in everything that we do um, and it's something that i can nurture very carefully with my kids because i know personally how important it is and to me i see it as kind of make or break so it's very important to to nurture it yeah, the uh, dealing with money, especially, I think people have a lot of hangups. You know, you see somebody that has a lot of money and you grow up thinking, what a jerk that person is, right? And then you start making money on your own. It's like, wow, I don't want to become that. So maybe I shouldn't ask for as much. I know people who've, you know, um, kind of tailored back their, their bid on a job because it just seemed too much. Oh, make it a little bit smaller because I don't want to be seen as that that person. That's a lot to overcome. Absolutely, it is, and it's it's really you know when you get that get to that level uh, with your money of awareness that you really start to almost sense check the thoughts that you have around money. It's amazing the kind of things that come out, um, and quite often they come from our primary caregivers who have had their own um, beliefs passed down to them and then they fed them onwards, you know, so I hear all sorts, you know, people think that that wealthy people are, are greedy. Um, I hear that on a regular basis. <clears throat> That's something that I vehemently disagree with. Um, I think, you know, greed can exist at any levels of wealth. Um, and I thankfully am very grateful to be part of a wealthy community, which totally changed my belief around that. And I see them giving hugely of what they earn. They they earn good money. Um, they work hard for their money. And they live a really good life, but always part of what they do is a charitable element, always. It's always about legacy. It's always about giving back. Um, and so for me, that belief was crushed very early on in my studies. It was like, no, actually, that that's really not true. Um, and so that's the tribe that I hang around with. I'm sure, you know, it's very, very possible to find many examples where that is true. But equally, at the other end of the spectrum um amongst the poor um uh people who don't have so much money you will find hugely generous people and you will find hugely greedy people so i think that that trait exists um and it's not one dictated by wealth um so but once you start kind of listening to your language and your thoughts around money it starts to um go through the layers of the onion and you really start to understand as to where your beliefs have come from and and you know some of the deeper ones can require a bit more um one-to-one work to get rid of them but the awareness i think is the first step as to you know well what do i believe about money and you know where did this come from and is this serving me or disempowering me and if it's disempowering me well then okay well what do i do to 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 get rid of it and replace it with something that's a more empowering habit and um and more empowering empowering belief exactly and you bring up greed. I know a lot of people that say, oh, so-and-so is greedy. That person is so greedy. But when you ask them to define greed, they can't. You know, yeah. uh, to me, I don't, I don't really believe in greed necessarily. But if there was a definition of greed, it, was, it would be doing something that 
harms or takes away from someone else. Yeah. If I'm making money, I can make it millions an hour. That's fine. That's not greedy. I'm working for it. I've created something that Jeff Bezos has created, you know, uh, Amazon. He deserves whatever money he's getting because he's created all these jobs and all these companies, and everything like that. But I think if you do something that benefits you, but takes away from someone else, I think that's closer to, to greed. I'm sure there are other words, better words to define what that is. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good definition of it. I mean, yeah, I think probably harm, I'd bring harm into it that, it, you know, some action, whatever action you take, and it, it harms another individual, um, you know, to to meet your own ends, but to disadvantage them. Um, I think that's probably how I'd feel about it. But to me, it's I always look for a win-win situation. So, you know, when I'm doing for the property investment or whether I'm doing the education, there has to be, it has to be a win-win. It's, it can't be flowing just one way, either to the client or to me, that's not balanced. And everything I, I like to do, there has to be a balance to it. And, you know, life, I think, in, in all aspects has a polarity. Um, and this is no different. So, um, you know, that's the way I kind of like to approach it um, so that everybody has is taking something out from it and that the balance is, I suppose, greed, I think, if I think about it, would probably be where that balance is tipped in one fair person's favor against another um, unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, um, I think when you're looking at it um, from an empowering position and you're coming at it with a win-win ma- mindset, then, you know, you're not going to get into that that territory and it's always going to feel like, yeah, actually, you know, this feels good to me and, you know, it feels good to them. Then, yeah, yeah. this works. Great. Let's yeah. do it. Exactly. Um, you also host the Financial Wellness Academy, right? Talk to me about yeah, that. that's correct. Yeah. So that's the a company I set up. Um, I, I kind of dipped my toe in the water for a long time and and um, kind of went forwards and backwards of, of what I should do in terms of next steps. You know, I knew there was a knew there was a demand for what I was doing, um, but it was kind of trying, I suppose, like most of us with our own businesses, trying to figure out what the best next steps were. And um, ultimately, I came up with the idea of um, putting it on a formal footing um, of the Financial Wellness Academy. So that provides a number of different programs. I to I'm very aware that there's a lot of programs out there that um, you know compete um, and in that marketplace, it's quite noisy. So I wanted to do something that set my programs apart. So I went the route of um, CPD, which I'm not sure you're familiar with at the acronym is Continuous Professional Development. It used to be just a UK based um, way to accredit courses independently. It's now gone global. So I think it's a, it's across the world now. And so when I develop a program, I put it through um, this accreditation body, which verifies um, the uh the content of the material, um, uh, et cetera, and the structure, et cetera, and make sure that it's it's fit for purpose and that it does what it says. So it's a good way for me to um, separate myself from the competition. But what it also does from a corporate perspective, and if you're a professional individual, is it gives you uh, an allocated number of hours. So for a lot of us, myself included, as a qualified financial advisor, I need to do a certain amount of CPD hours every year to maintain my qualification. And that's a very common requirement across a lot of corporates and um, some professions in particular. So this actually contributes to, towards those hours. So some people will just um, you know, do education for the sheer joy of it. Others will do it for as a requirement. So I wanted to be able to have products that were suitable for the corporate market. And one of my programs now is just... Um, 
it's been born. It's called Lunch and Learn. It's just been born out of um, a need that we're currently seeing at the moment across um, corporates. Employees are being, you know, as we all are being hit by the increase um, in cost of living with the energy crisis and post-COVID, there's been a lot of financial impact um, over the last two years. So there's a lot of stress coming to the workplace with um, employees, productivity is being affected, their emotional well-being is being affected. So corporates are now bringing me in on that programme to educate their staff as to whilst there's not there's very little that we can do externally with what what's happening what we can do is always look after our economy and see the things that we can actually um empower ourselves with and, and educate ourselves with and make different choices to make sure that we have we have that feeling of financial wellness so that's been something that i've put through the academy and it's been recently accredited and uh, it's really meeting a need right now that a lot of employees, sadly, are experiencing because of what's happening all around us. Excellent. Very cool. And then I know you have a YouTube video talking about the five pillars of financial wellness. I do. Yeah, I think. And that's where everything was born when I when I kind of um, peeled back on and looked back on my own transformation and how I came from a place really of financial desperation, really struggling um, back in 08, 09, to being in a very different perspective now with, you know, a lot of diversification and a, finan- a level of financial wellness that really feels like a good a good space to be in and still a work in progress. Um, it was about um, well, where, what, what were the key pieces to that? And when I looked into it and reflected and it was five things that really jumped out. So kind of that's all my programs are based around that principle, those principles and, and those those five pillars to financial wellness. Yeah. And what are those five pillars? So the first one really is around vision. Um, so it's really important when you're starting with this, I think with an, like with anything, to have ultimately the end in mind as to what it is that you're working towards, because otherwise it's kind of like a rudderless uh, boat. You've no idea where you're going to end up and it's probably going to be somewhere you didn't intend to be. So getting really clear up front as to what you want um, is really important. And it's often very underestimated because it's like, oh, well, that's a bit too simplistic. And I think, no, time and time again, I see the importance of it and I reminded myself as well to regularly check in with that it's not something you just do once off and then you know forget about you do need to check in regularly with it um the second one then is around having a really healthy relationship with money so a lot of us you know we've touched on earlier around kind of our limiting beliefs and how we've been brought up um with money and what kind of do we have a healthy relationship with money or does it need a little bit of tlc so we we dive into that and we talk about things like gratitude because that for me was one of the habits that when i installed my relationship with money changed dramatically because it was my perspective was always prior to that was always in financial desperation looking at all the things i didn't have all the things that were looking wrong and that mindset shift to looking actually with gratitude as to how amazingly um you know enriched i was in the life i had it was far from ideal um but i had a huge amount of things to be grateful for even when a lot of things were not going my way so it was about remembering to install that habit which i still do now on a regular basis of remembering all the things to be grateful for so that's a key part and then tracking as well <clears throat> having that awareness around our money, where it's coming from, where it's going to. Um, so that's a practical step in creating the relationship with money. Um, the third pillar then is around, it's kind of a chunky one in the middle about savings. And that's really a mix of um, 
providing sufficiently for our short term needs, medium and long term. So we build in retirement planning there. But I like to do it in quite a simple way, because often when we sit down with financial advisor or pension experts, it can get really messy and tricky. And, you know, people's eyes glaze over at the thought of retirement numbers, et cetera, because they can they can be overwhelming to a lot of people. And I like to keep it really simple. So we, we um, make sure that in the savings piece, We've got our savings habit installed. Mine started with 20 euro, which is probably about what $25 or so. Um, and it was the importance of installing that. So we start from the very small step. Um, and that for me changed over a short period of time up to 50% of my income. But that first step was hugely important. Um, you know, so we we cover all around that in this third pillar. The fourth pillar then is around protection. So making sure our wills, our powers of attorney, um, or whatever the equivalent is in your jurisdiction, and making sure that our, our own life and the lives of our loved ones are protected for, you know, in a number of scenarios and making sure that we're not overinsured or underinsured, but we're just exactly right for our needs. And to make sure that you're hitting that level, um, it's important that you understand the implications of, of um, what's enough um, in terms of protection. And then the last one is around debt. And when we think of most people think of debt, they think of bad debt. And um, it's a case of, well, you know, absolutely acknowledging that if you have bad debt, making a plan to deal with it. Uh, for me, you know, um, I had uh, personally I use a when I had had bad debt, I used a one of those mindful coloring pages and I would color in a section of that. So it was a very visual reminder as to um, how I was proactively paying off a chunk each time. And it was a pretty way of looking at it. I had a client who really loved Excel spreadsheets and she used to map her um, credit card debt and she paid it off chunk. So it was a decreasing line. So that really works for her. Um, so whatever way it is works for you, but making um, changing the relationship that you have with your debt from it being something that feels like a noose and a weight to something that you can play with and go, OK, well, you know, this is what it is. What if I could clear it in X amount of days and what would that look like and what would I have to do? And just really lightening, lightening up around it. And then the flip side of it, uh, as we talked about the polarity of most things, is that there is a such thing as good debt as well. And educating yourself about how good debt is a, a thing that you should have in your life if you're using money well. Um, so that's how, for me, I uh, talk about investment property and you know, rental income, et cetera. And that's a way of, you know, leveraging your money, leveraging your assets um, and making sure that you've got another source of income that's, you know, and you have a good spread across the different asset classes. So that's pretty much a nutshell version of the five pillars. That's great. And you go into all that in the Financial Wellness Academy? Yeah. I do. Yeah. So the programs are built on those principles and we go into more detail then in each of the programs on that. Excellent. That is awesome. So now the, the, you say you have some properties that you own, you've got into investing in real estate stuff. Do you specialize or, or focus more on single family or multifamily or what kind of properties do you focus on? It's single family. Um, so it's very simple what we do. Um, we've bought six in a 12-month period. We just have our seventh um, being sourced at the moment. And nice. um, it is uh, really simple. In the northeast of England, the family, typical family demographic is two adults and um, you know a number of kids. And generally, those individuals are not married, which means we work specifically with families who have um, I'm not sure what the American term would be, but it's basically like where the um, the council or the government pay their rent because they're below a certain income okay. threshold. So basically they get a house for free. They don't have to worry about their rent. 
um, they work with us and we make sure that they are provided with a really good, warm home, safe, um, safe place to, to call home for their family. And generally, um, it is a strategy that is in short supply in the northeast. Uh, I've lived there myself for a couple of years and the quality of accommodation is really poor. And, um, you know, came across a lot of kind of slum, slum landlords that we would refer to. Um, so we want to do something different. We we know that if we provide a really lovely, you know, house and um, aesthetically in the northeast, externally, the house will not be pretty to look at. Um, so it won't have that curb appeal. But the important piece for these families is that it is really it's a safe place inside and it's warm, clear, clean and dry. So that's something different that we provide in the northeast. And then um, the rents that we're getting on that are really, really good. And, um, you know, we, we do a very simple strategy in that space and it works really well. So we're just going to continue to kind of scale that. And as as we scale then as well, what's happened organically is as, you know, kind of word of mouth, you start to tell other people about it. Um, I have had a lot of um, clients actually take that next step also with the partner we work it with. So he's um, it's very hands free strategy and, um, you know, uh, it really suits people. So those six that we bought in the 12 month period, we never saw any of them in person because it was during COVID and we couldn't travel. Um, so that was really quite cool to be able to to do that. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's basically what we do. Wow. And then are you responsible for the maintenance? On the property or does the homeowner take that indirectly yes i am responsible um but it is our partner in the northeast um that actually looks after it so they have the team a team on the ground who have all the infrastructure in place um to do that nice and so you go in and make sure the interior is safe and sound but not necessarily exactly. the exterior right no, well, they they oh no, everything will be safe and sound. So, um, you know, when we when our partners in the northeast source the property, they would do a very thorough check on us. They would have all their teams, um, you know, in terms of engineer, plumbing, electrician, builder, come in and do a, a very in depth um, survey on the house or uh, apartment, and then um, they would ascertain as to what work was was needed to be done. So before. A tenant even gets to step foot, step foot inside that place. It is the responsibility of the um, the management company who we work with to make sure that that is exactly right. All the boxes are ticked because it makes sense for them and for us, because if everything isn't right before the tenant moves in, the chances are they're going to have to call after call after call. So it's much easier to get it right before they, they move in. And then that minimizes the amount of management that they have afterwards, which is is ideal for both the landlord and the tenant uh, and the, um, the management company. Yeah. Yeah. And the tenants, I'm sure they appreciate that, too. So your your customer is really the government then because they're paying the fees for these homes? Yeah, they, okay. they are, um, I suppose. And that's one thing, I suppose, with COVID, which why we went for that particular strategy was because I actually had a unit in Ireland as well at the time that was also local authority and um, paid by the government. Um, so we saw this as a relatively as, as low risk um, strategy as we could get um, at the time. And whereas, you know, private tenants were losing their jobs left, right and centre, there was much better stability around that. In the northeast area as well, there's a continual demand for that type of property. So we felt that that was a much steadier way to go. And we wanted, um, you know, property, there's risk with everything, but we wanted to go with something that was as steady as we possibly could identify. And this for us was kind of the best, best option. And, you know, again, it's what I referred to earlier. It's win-win. You know, it works for the management agent because they make a 
good fee out of it. It works for us because we get a good rental and it works for the family because they get somewhere that is pretty unique to live in, in terms of, you know, just being safe and dry and, and a nice place to live. So they tend to as well because of that. They're very grateful to have something like that and they don't mess about. Um, you know, the rent is paid directly so that we don't have any arrears and uh, they're likely to stay much longer than, you know, somewhere else. So then you have your management fees um, go right down and you don't have to refurbish it so much, which is great for, for us and for them. That's excellent. And so now you help the women in your groups, help them understand how this process works and help them with the maybe getting their first property. Exactly. And I have, and, you know, I'd say of the, the people I've worked with uh, on a strategy, I would say probably 90, 95% of them are, are women. And that's by, I suppose, accident really, rather than design. I have, I've worked with several, several um, guys on it too. Um, but they often like to be, um, they prefer to be more hands-on. Um, <clears throat> so the idea of viewing something or not seeing something in the flesh um, is something that a lot of guys are just not comfortable with. And that's fine. It is not a strategy that suits everybody. Um, but we do have several male investors also. Um, but it largely suits females because they they know they want to um uh, you know, they from an education point of view, they know property is a really important asset. Um, but often, like myself, they've had very negative experiences with property before when they had it, and it was just hassle after hassle. Um, and they just the idea of having it in a hands free way and having still really good returns is, um, you know, something unique. And I, I didn't mention earlier in terms of. One of my experiences with property in Ireland, uh, we put one of our properties on the market. It was just about this time last year and I it was only on maybe a week or so. And I got a phone call to say that the Criminal Assets Bureau had busted the house, kicked the doors in at dawn, um, half a million euro worth of heroin cocaine found. Um, so that was wow. my idea of a nightmare. And all it did for me at that point was reinforce the idea of doing hands free because reality is drugs are everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't want to be receiving a call like that ever again um, and having to then deal with it and how I managed it because it was on the market. Nobody would come view it because it was all over the papers um, and having to deal with a situation like that was not something, um, you know, I'm 46. I'm, I'm pushing on <laughs> and I kind of think, you know, I want to do it in a better way that reduces my stress, not increases it. So for me. All that did was affirm, you know what, this hands-free way is a better way to go and it suits me personally. And uh, as I found as well, there's a lot of other people who've had similar experiences because, you know, unfortunately it's everywhere in our society. Um, but there are management companies who, you know, they like dealing with that. They're happy to deal with it. They have the infrastructure in place to deal with those and they know the legalities of it, which is really, really important, um, you know, position to be in. So, um, you know, it's another reason. So I have a huge amount of females at the moment who really resonate with that, that strategy. And so therefore go with that because it really works with their values and how they want to do property. Great. That is awesome. So uh, courage. Where did you find the courage to step out and kind of create your own? You were in the banking industry for a long time. Where did you find that courage to step out and say, I'm going to create my own programs, right? My own uh, investing in your own properties. And I, I guess you kind of have a, a company built around your investment properties and everything like that. Where did you come up with that? Where did you, where did you find the courage? Um, I would say it was a necessity. Um, so when COVID, COVID hit us, you know, as it did everybody um, in March 2020, uh, my husband is an airline pilot. Mm. And obviously that was one of the industries, um, travel and retail that was severely affected. Yes. So, you know, with where we um, live, we had no furlough. So 
he was on zero pay. So we had nothing coming in overnight income just gone. Um, I was at that point full time home educating my kids. Um, um, even so, and even though I had a corporate career that was in the way distant past. So in the very short term, we were really struck as to yikes, you know, what do we do? Um, he had the feeling that, you know, it would sort out pretty quickly. But I just had this really strong instinct. This was not going to turn around anytime quickly. And we needed to get a plan in place. Now, thankfully for us, um, I watched lots of other families with pilots really, really suffer badly. We were, I was going to say lucky, but it's not luck. We had spent the previous five years putting all the kind of pieces in place to make sure we had an emergency fund and with my own education, um, ticking all the boxes and making sure we were well protected. So I had lived that. So we were okay on that front. We never worried about having to, you know, feed the kids or pay the mortgage or any of those things because we were already provided for it. But what we did worry about was um, diversification of income. We were really exposed. So my courage to lead really came from necessity. It was sink or swim. Uh, and, you know, I have to be very transparent on this and say in the beginning, I would say it was probably 10, 14 days when that hit and all the pieces started to fall apart. It was a case of there was sinking. Uh, I, you know, I struggled to get out of bed. Um, it was, um, you know, a push to really get through the day. But with three kids, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't sink. Um, it just, for me, it wasn't an option. <clears throat> so, uh, once I kind of steadied my feet and found, OK, right, well, let's let's see what we can do. We just started putting one foot in front of the other and diversification became really important and never, ever to get burned. So while we had a lot of really good pieces in place and some really good foundations, we were massively exposed on income and the lack of income diversification. So for the last two years, for me, the courage to lead has been driven by that uh, pain of, of COVID hitting and the lack of diversification and making sure that I need to do whatever I need to do to make sure that we never experience that again. Um, so I think that's probably, it was necessity um, that drove it. But you bring up a good point that diversification, not, not relying on either one salary or one type of investment, um, just having a lot of money in the bank isn't necessarily going to carry you through on things. You have to be able to, to do that. You do. And with within business, within every way, you know, I would look at it, you know, I probably went on diversification on steroids after that lesson because we felt the pain so intensely and it was like, OK, well, what can we do? So we converted part of our house just beneath me um, into a self-contained apartment because we struggled many times when my husband was coming home. He couldn't get in the border because we ha he had to come through the same door and he was shut the entire house down mm. with the restrictions. And then the kids couldn't go out to see their family. And it affected us so much. Um, and there were long periods, you know, in a nine, 10 month period where they saw their dad, the kids maybe um, three or four times. And that was that was hard. So that really affect our sense of financial wellness. While it's not money related, it really affected us. So we thought, OK, well, what can we do? So we've got two redundant um, uh, spaces. Uh, we can add value to the house by putting money into that. We can potentially in the short term rent it out. We can use it for family and friends. Um, so we really we really sat down with a blank sheet and said what can we do that's one thing this is another so we had like i had five or six different things set up that were all unrelated um that we thought okay well this will provide us insurance in the future um you know in a worst case scenario and then the best case scenario will that all these individual things will stand by themselves and will come in um so that was that was really why we went that way but it's diversification is is huge and it's something that I look around me, I, I worry about people, some people close to me that they're they're not, they're really exposed. And if they get hit like we did, um, it's a very painful lesson. So um, 
you know, you can learn from the pain or you can, you know, you can really be bruised and injured and not take the lesson. But for me, it was like, no way did I want to have that lesson again. I thought, OK, I get it. I'm going to do what I need to do and just, you know, just um, get it sorted. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like learning from other people's pain <laughs> rather than experiencing it myself. Um, I had one lady on the podcast that her same situation, her husband was in construction. He was the breadwinner for the house, everything, you know, she had her little side hobbies, but nothing really to speak of. He got injured on, on the job and could not work. And he was self-employed. So he didn't have insurance and everything like that. And they found themselves in a tight situation. But fortunately, she had enough of these little hobbies that she could convert into actual income streams. So I think she says she has seven or eight different income streams now. So if one thing falls, she's got other things to kind of pick up the slack. That's the, the only way to do it, I think. Yeah, no, it is. And, and there's every day, you know, you see, you read it on them on social media or in the in print media. Um, it, it happens on a regular basis and you never know how it's going to affect you. Um, but the the best thing to do is, you know, to to try and, like you say, to learn from other people's pain and try. But, you know, as, as humans, we often that's not enough to teach us We're sometimes and myself included. Um, you know, I saw that, but we had prioritized some of the other pillars and not that we had diversified well in our investments. But because we had prioritized our kids and me being primary carer, we had just let that one slip. And that was a that was a lesson that cost us. But the fact that we had the rest of it in place, it saved us. Um, so we, we felt the pain, but not as intensely as somebody who maybe didn't have an emergency fund. You know, I know people who, who lost houses, um, you know, who really, really suffered with that. We avoided that piece, thankfully, because, uh, you know, I think wondering whether, you know, you can pay, whether you're going to lose your house, um, whether you can pay for food for your kids, that's whole level, next level of stress. And I know a lot of people have had that. And that's, yeah, that, that, um, you know, I think that's really, um, that's a deeper, deeper level. That's survival. Whereas we didn't have, it wasn't survival that we got hit with. It was more the, you know, um, continuity and, and if, you know, how, how this would go. Um, so it was an easier one to take um, and to learn. Um, but, you know, there's, there was just so much suffering in so many, so many places, which is why mm -hmm. the whole lunch and learn thing, what I've done is I still see people suffering with it. And, you know, if corporates can bring me in um, to help it alleviate that pain, then I'm going to do that whatever way I can, whether it's through corporates or it's through, um, you know, the free event I do a couple of times a year, it's it's just really, really important for me. It's something I'm massively passionate about. I see it with my kids. You know, I I hear them discussing simple things like the difference between what whatever it is that they'd like, whether it's a need or a want, and they'll discuss this between them. And that's something, it's a very simple um, concept, but it's something in our society nowadays, um, we see a lot of our wants as needs. And, you know, our ability to distinguish between that is has been really marred. And uh, we grow, we ha we're in a society of instant gratification. And that's not something that, you know, probably in your upbringing or mine, um, there was a very specific difference between what a need and a want was. Um, but I think that's been lost very much. And, you know, um, that's something that needs needs correcting uh, to help the situation that's very firmly on our own shoulders um, in terms of responsibility. Yeah. You must be proud, though, to have them having discussions like that, needs and wants. Super. I don't I don't know very yeah. many kids that would have that. 
that kind of conversation. Yeah, no, they because it, they're just they're just um, sponges. I mean, they they repeat that. I will say to them, you know, is it a need or is it a want? And then they will now say to each other. And the, but they not only it won't stop there because we've given them strategies to say I will chat to them and you know they'll say oh you know I really like that. Um, can I have this? And I'll say okay, well, do you have the money for it? No. Okay, well, do you have an idea as to how you can get the money for it? Um, and they'll say okay, well, it's my birthday and maybe I can put it on my birthday list or I put it on my Christmas list or you know somebody's going to give me money for Easter or whenever um, summer holidays um, or I could sell some of the stuff that I have and they it rather than me giving them a solution and going yeah sure you can have it that creates a really bad habit which comes back to bite them later so sometimes they they will say to me they're like well but so and so if so and so's parent bought it for them and think well that's great but I'm not their parent and I want to give you really good habits that empower you that when you're older down the line and there's something that you want you'll become creative as to how you can get it and you won't just expect somebody else to just hand it out to you so it's a really important skill so now they just they don't even realize they're learning it they're just modeling what they see me doing um, and that's really, really powerful. <laughs> I think probably irritating for some of their friends as they, you know, ask those questions now to their friends um, and their friends are used to some of them getting what they want when they ask. And uh, yeah, they don't like the questioning that my kids <laughs> deliver. But to me, it's that's part of my legacy to them. Yes. It's like, you know what? I know probably in the short term you think I'm a little mean, but it's not about that. Um, you know, they say to me, well, why can't we get a Ferrari? I'm like, well, if we wanted a Ferrari, we get a Ferrari, but we don't really want that. Um, and it's not something that would really give us a great sense of financial wellness. So we choose not to have it. It's it's not because we can't. It's because we don't want to. We have other choices that we want to to um, to use our money for. So that's great. <laughs> Perfect. Um, do you have any employees working for you or are you doing this all on your own? Yeah, not full time. I kind of have different contract um, individuals I work with for different um, projects like copywriter, website, VA, those kind of things, but not on a not on a regular basis. Um, so it's kind of on a needs must because ideally for me, um, I uh, want to get myself to a place where I'm working sort of kind of 10, 12 hours a week. Um, so I really want to get that those hours back. Um, so it's about streamlining everything and, and setting it up in a way that minimizes the time that um, I put into into the business. So, no, I think for I can't I can see probably having one or two um, people on a part time basis going forward, but not on a full time because I'm not going to be working full time. So I don't think it really will ever get to the stage where it has that kind of need. Um, while you were in the banking sector, did you have employees? working for you? Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, assistant manager level. Um, I had, I had some at that stage and yeah, it's not something that's my strength <laughs> and I didn't enjoy it. Um, Cause I have a probably quite blunt um, character and that doesn't go down well with managing employees. And I would have to, I would write a communication and I'll have to go back over it and soften it at the beginning, yeah. at the end, because I would very be very qu- quite direct. So um, that doesn't bode well for um, employee management. So definitely not in my strengths yeah I'm, I'm with you on that one i have to do that too kind of do a brain dump let it sit for a while then go back and clean it up yeah um but i like to talk about leadership and leadership styles if i was to bump into any of these people and ask them what your leadership style was what would they tell me what kind of leader are you i think i don't know what the options are but the one the word that jumps out to me was is probably inspirational motivational so I'll I'll if I'll meet somebody and you know say if it's a client I'm working with and 
my, I feel instantly my job with them is I'll listen to where they're at and is to inspire and motivate them. So I'll tell them. I'll, um, and that's one of the things that I get fed, fed back with re, or regularly on the, the free event I work uh, run twice a year is that they find my my story resonates with them. And they because it's at such it's not on like a multi um, multimillionaire, you know, living in a life that they can't, um, you know, resonate with. Uh, it's a very, a very normal life, family life, um, home educating kids. They're still, you know, they're still at school age, um, uh, trying to juggle work and um, starting investing at 20 euros. So it's probably it's in the, I would say, inspirational, motivational and, you know, somebody that they can relate with them. I'm not going to give them the um, the theory about everything. I'm going to make it really practical and something that they can relate and break it down into simple, simple pieces. So inspirational, I hope, is what they would say. That's excellent. Yeah, definitely. So if you could go back early in your career, would you do things differently or would you follow the same path, do you think? No, I, I'm a firm believer in, um, in uh, you know, there being uh, a higher plan, a higher power, uh, and I don't really have full sight of the whole plan. And I think that's part of the mystery. I think in my early years, I really wanted to know how that would unfurl. But now as kind of I get older, I kind of think, you know, there's a magic to that not knowing. And when I look back, I see, wow, some uh, particularly COVID being the most recent challenge, the the silver linings that have emerged from that um, have far out, outshadowed, you know, the pain um, of it. So, um, you know, I would I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I think everything serves a purpose. Um, the lessons were there to be learned. The people that I, I met were there. Um, all the, you know, the positions that I had, each of those served a purpose. And I just have faith and trust that, you know, I'm, I'm where I need to be. And, um, you know, I, I've experienced what I need to experience and who knows what what will happen going forward. So nothing wouldn't change a thing. Excellent. Very good. Well, Katrina, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more about your programs, how can they do that? What's your website? At the website is in construction at the moment, but it, it will be so very soon financialwellnessacademy.co.uk um, or my Facebook page is Financial Wellness Academy. And I'm also on LinkedIn just under my, my own name. So you can connect with me on any of those platforms. Perfect. Great. All right. I will have all of those links in the show notes so people can reach out to you and stuff. And again, thank you so much for, for sharing time with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much for Harlan for having me. Um, it was a pleasure. It was really, really enjoyed being interviewed by you. Thank you. Thanks. All right, listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. Um, whether you're in the UK or the US, these financial uh, foundational elements are, are crucial to, to get over, uh, get over your limiting beliefs and uh, those five pillars, right, of financial freedom and everything. Definitely, definitely check that out on the website and uh, share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. And Stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.